Well, let's pray. Father God, I thank you for your amazing grace. I thank you for the love that we have, the love that you've given us. I thank you for your word, how true it is and how amazing it is. Lord, teach us and guide us, Lord, today. Fill us with your spirit. Thank you for who you are. Thank you for the cross, Lord, that we may be forgiven and set free. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, Gladys Stain was an ordinary housewife, but she stunned the nation of India by spontaneously, unpretentiously, humbly, and genuinely forgiving militant Hindus for their atrocities. They had burned alive her husband and two little sons on January 23, 1999. Just a horrific thing. And in 2005, the government of India honored Gladys with one of the highest civilian honors, Padma Bhushan. Why should an individual be given a national honor simply for forgiving her murderers? To appreciate, or her family's murderers. To appreciate the forgiveness, remember that India's and Pakistan's birth as free nations came with terrible pain of Hindu, Muslim, Sikh, sectarian riots. About 10 million were made homeless. One half to one million people were killed, including Mahatma Gandhi. Fifty years of secular democracy and education could not free the nation of India from its destructive chain of violence and revenge. Hindu-Muslim clashes have burned trainloads of innocent passengers leading to riots that last for weeks. Frequent riots have reduced Indian Muslims to relative poverty and powerlessness. Any successful Muslim businessman is marked target for the next round of riots. Even sympathetic bankers hesitate to, le- to lend to them. Well, Gladys' simple act of forget- forgiveness became a national phenomenon because it broke this common chain of cause and effect. In city after city, Hindu, Muslim, Sikh, Buddhist, Jain, and secular leaders gathered to publicly honor Gladys as a saint to emulate. The government of India was simply last in line to acknowledge that Gladys Stain isn't an ordinary, is, is an ordinary woman with an extraordinary spirit. She forgave. Well, let me tell you something. Christ did this. Christ did this. When God's love is revealed, God's power is known. God heals with His love. He heals when His love is known and experienced. When we love God, we honor Him. When we love God, we reveal His nature and His character to the world around us. We change our culture when God's love flows through us. It's an amazing thing. Jesus said in John 14, He who has my commandments and keeps them is the one who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and will disclose myself to him. When you love Christ, you honor God. When you love God, Christ lives his life in you. When you honor God, his love flows through you and in you. You are overwhelmed by his love. What is this commandment that Christ said that we are to obey, showing our love to him? Well, in John 13, we read this, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. We will have the greatest evangelism moment, an ongoing moment and effort, by loving each other. You know why? Because he says, by this all men will know that you're my disciples. 
As we obey God in His command, we will, through the power of the Spirit, create a cultural revolution, transforming lives and overcoming the hate and conflict and divisiveness that we see so rampant today. I believe God is able and capable of bringing about this cultural transformation, changing hearts and lives as His love flows through us. I declare to you today, God is able and He's willing. And it begins with us believing His Word, knowing His will, and obeying His commands. We are to begin with prayer, calling on God to empower us and enable us to follow His Word and fulfill His will. It then moves from praying to doing His Word through the power of the Holy Spirit, all the while we're praying and seeking His help. There's a subtlety, though, to not following God. If I were to ask you, do you believe in God? Have you surrendered your life to Christ? Has He forgiven you of your sins? Imagine, and I hope you would say yes. Then I were to ask you, and we have to be honest with ourselves and to God, do you believe His Word? Every word of His Word? Even when it says, turn the other cheek, give to those who ask of you, do not hate your enemies, but pray for those who persecute you, do not return evil for evil, but instead do good to those who hate you, well, <laughs> we may say, yes, I believe that. I know God's word says that. But deep down in our heart, we may say, that won't work if I live that out. I don't know if I were to really do that, that that would really do any good. Maybe I better not. Maybe just say I believe it. But do I really live it? I know God's word says that. I believe. God is capable and able of resolving any situation, any conflict, any hurt, any pain, any problem, because He is God. And His Word has the power to do it. There's that wonderful psalm, Psalm 46, that speaks to God's character and sovereignty. It says, God is our refuge and strength and a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth should change and though the mountains slip into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains quake at its swelling pride. Selah. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God and the holy places of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She will not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations made an uproar. The kingdoms tottered. He raised his voice. The earth melted. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our stronghold. Selah, come, behold the works of the Lord who has wrought desolations in the earth. He makes war cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and cuts the spear in two. He burns the chariots with fire. Cease striving and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our stronghold. Selah, Psalm 46. I believe those words. He's able to stop wars? Come on, is he? Yes, he is. Yes, he is, because he's God. I'm inclined to believe that what I read here is true and God is able that if I obey him, he will come through. He will bring help. He will transform hearts. He will save souls. He will resolve the issue. He will come through. The matter may not be settled in the time that we like, but I'm here to say it will be settled. I want to simply believe his word and not allow an ounce of doubt to enter my head into my soul. I want to remove any sort of doubt because I know my God is faithful. 
When we honor God, we listen to Him, we believe His Word, we obey Him, and most importantly, we say, God, I love you. And this is why we need God every second of every moment. God, I need you. I challenge us today, honor God. Honor God by listening to Him. Honor God because you love Him, obey Him, believe Him, surrender to Him. These songs we even sung today, trust and obey, I surrender all. Worship God, exalt Him, declare Him, rejoice in Him because He's your God. So let's go to Malachi 2. The prophet Malachi is the last book written in the Old Testament. It was written roughly 430 years before Christ. The Jewish people had been living in Jerusalem for over for over 100 years after they had been exiled from their land. Their exile happened over a period of 20 years, and finally the city of Jerusalem was completely destroyed, and the temple burned, the wall raised. Many were killed, and some were exiled. Finally, God allowed them to return to the city of Jerusalem, and the Jewish remnant arrived back in the land where they resettled the city of Jerusalem and the surrounding region. They reinstituted the sacrifices, eventually rebuilt the temple, and under Nehemiah, rebuilt the wall. There is a reason for why the Jewish people were exiled and sent away. They had forgotten God. They, uh, they did not honor God. They did not obey Him. They did not worship Him. They did not love Him. They worshiped idols, false gods, fertility gods, man-made gods. They simply let the culture take over, and they followed the rules of culture and society. They did not transform their culture. In Exodus, God said to his people in Exodus 19, Now then, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be my own possession among all the peoples, for all the earth is mine. People will see me in you. You will make me known throughout all the world by loving and obeying me. Well, let's see how well they did. In Ezekiel 36, it says this, I will vindicate the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, which you have profaned in their midst. You took my name, and you made it common. You did not honor me. I, you know, God would say to his, he was saying to his people in Ezekiel 36, you made me look like any other false god on earth. What God are we revealing in our hearts? Jesus told his disciples in Matthew 5, you are the salt of the earth, but if the salt of the, has become tasteless, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. You put salt on your food to enhance the taste. At least I do. But you don't add something to salt to enhance it. One's like, well, we need salt, more salt, more salt. No, that's it, you know. <laughs> like, How can I make salt tasty? <laughs> that's it. There's nothing there. What Jesus is saying here is that you are to transform, transcend the immoral and violent culture in which we live by revealing the character, grace, and forgiveness of God, the joy of God, the love of God. We reveal the truth of who God is instead of looking like the culture. It's very easy to look what we are taught every day through what we read and see. It's very easy to imbibe the culture, imbibe the message, take it in and say, that's how I'll live. Because if you don't, 
then you're persecuted. But let me tell you, as we look at the world around us, as we look at the immorality that's being celebrated, we are to say instead, let me show you a more excellent way. God brought back his people to live in the land again, but sadly, as the years and decades went by, the same attitudes and sentiments about God were expressed before the exile began. And it be, uh, before the exile, and, and then they began to show the same things that had happened before. The people were complacent in their love for God, their honoring of God, to the point that God and His Word became a nuisance. They were not trusting God. They were not honoring God. They were certainly not loving God. They were following the attitudes and desires of their heart. It was more of the same. And so God sends Malachi to challenge their heart and their motivation. He says, let us honor God. Let us honor Him. So number one, honor God by listening to His Word. Let's look at verses 1 through 4. And now this commandment is for you, O priests. of Malachi 2 here. If you do not listen and if you do not take it to heart to give honor to my name, says the Lord of hosts, and I will send the curse upon you and I will curse your blessings. And indeed, I will curse them. I have, already, I have cursed them already because you're not taking it to heart. Behold, I'm going to rebuke your offspring and I will spread refuse on your faces, the refuse of your feasts, and, and you will be taken away with it. Then you will know that I have sent this commandment to you that my covenant may continue with Levi says the Lord of hosts. A missionary while serving in Paraguay saw a Maca Indian named Raphael come to sit on his porch. And the missionary was eating and went out to see what Raphael wanted. He responded in his language, Ham Hanek Met. Now the missionary understood the words or understood what those words were saying. And he doesn't understand the significance. Like, what, what does that mean? What is he trying to say? I don't, uh, and so uh, he didn't understand. I don't want anything. It really it translates this way. I don't want anything. I have just come near. So, okay. <laughs> the missionary later shared the incident with a local veteran missionary, and the me- veteran missionary explained that it was Raphael's way of honoring him. He really didn't want anything. He just wanted to sit on his porch. He found satisfaction and pleasure just be near him. What brings you here, my child? Lord asks. Ham Henek met. I just want to be near you. Doesn't that the reveal? Doesn't that reveal the true heart of worship as we honor God and worship Him? The beginning of this chapter, God speaks directly to the priests. The priests were important in society and culture. In the Jewish world, God set the tribe of the Levites apart from the other tribes to serve as his priests. The descendants of Aaron, the brother to Moses, served as the high priests. The important role of the priests had to do with the proper worship of God, guarding the scrolls of Scripture, reading and teaching the law of God. It was important that they read the law themselves. They took it in, they read it, they knew it so they could teach it properly. They represented the people to God and God to the people. Christ is our high priest, for he is God, and we are in Christ, with whom Christ brings to the Father. In John 14, we read this, In that day you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Isn't that a picture of the priest? I'm bringing you to God. God is brought to us in Christ, and Christ is. And in Christ we're brought to God. The actions of the priests either drew people to God or they kept people from God. 
Same was true with the leaders of Judah. In Ezekiel, we read this, Ezekiel 34. Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to those shepherds, Thus says the Lord God, Woe, shepherds of Israel who have been feeding themselves. Should not the shepherds feed the flock? You eat the fat and clothe yourselves with the wool. You slaughter the fat sheep without feeding the flock. Those who are sickly you have not strengthened. The disease you have not healed. The broken you have not bound up. The scattered you have not brought back. Nor have you sought for the lost. But with force and with severity you have dominated them. The priests were following the attitudes and actions of those a century ago. The shepherds, the leaders, the priests were in it for themselves. A very common tale. You hear that all the time. When God spoke to the priest through, God spoke to the priest through Malachi, he said, You will listen to me and you will honor my name. This shows that the priests were not doing their duty. They were not teaching the people. They were not careful in following the law, meaning they were not reading it and taking it to heart. When God said not taking it to heart, it means God's word was not important. It was not a priority to you. So number one, keep God as your priority. Keep him as your priority. When Christ spoke to the church in Ephesus in Revelation 2, he says, you have lost, you have left your first love. And which means Christ was no longer their top priority. Here God is saying, you have neglected my word, here Malachi, and thus have neglected me. As a result, God will continue to curse their offerings. When it says he'll throw refuse, he will profane what they're doing as they have profaned my name. Find your first love. And he says this specifically to the tribe of Levi, the priest. Find your first love, Levi. Find your calling. Find your direction. Find your identity in me. Keep your first love. Keep me as your priority. For centuries, the nation of Israel and Judah had worshipped idols. They had removed God as their first love and replaced him with something else. You see, when God is removed or neglected, what do you think God will do? He will come after you. He will stand in your way. He will get your attention. He calls you. He sends his people to get your attention. He does this because he loves you. God is the God who makes promises and keeps his word. Notice he says, I am a God who makes a covenant. I make a promise. Our God is faithful, and He does not give up on us. He does not give up on you. If you were to stray from God, He is not far from you. You can return to Him, fall before Him, surrender to Him, repent to Him, as He's loving you and forgiving you. The priests were not practicing the traditions of the law in the manner that God gave to honor, to honor God. But instead, they had the attitude of, let's just get it done. <laughs> let's just check the box, say we did it, and move on. No. We did it. We lit the candle, we did whatever, and now it's time to live our lives. Well, God made a promise to his people, and he's asking them to live up to their promise. The history of God's people had been a history of neglect of God. God consistently sought to gain their attention. He sent prophet after prophet after prophet. In Deuteronomy, one of the final things Moses said to to his people was this. Take to your heart all the words with which I am warning you today, which you shall command your sons to observe carefully, even all the words of this law. For it is not an idle word for you. Indeed, it is your life. 
And by this word, you will prolong your days in the land which you're about to cross the Jordan to possess. For centuries, the people of God had not done this. They made his word idle. They had rejected it. They said, yes, just put it over there. (laughs) Unless they did not honor God. Are we making his word idle? Do we just set it aside? Well, we'll read that later. Let us honor God. Number two, honor God, recognize his word is life. Let's look at verses 5 through 7. My covenant with him, Levi, was one of life and peace, and I gave them to him as an object of reverence. So he revered me and stood in awe of my name. True instruction was in his mouth, and unrighteousness was not found on his lips. He walked with me in peace and uprightness, and he turned many back from iniquity. For the lips of a priest should preserve knowledge, and men should seek instruction from his mouth, for he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. Remember, Malachi's name, or the word Malachi means my messenger, you know. He is the messenger of the Lord. He is my messenger. He is Malachi, you see. When we read these verses, we see who God is. He is life and peace. He desires to give you life and peace. He is the foundation of hope and the goodness of truth. God, when he rescued his people, he prepared them with his word. He provided them with his character. He placed them in the land for all the world to see. And he propelled them to love him by his goodness and grace. When I read these verses, I see Christ. I see him completing what we failed to do. What the Israelites did is what we will do because we need a new heart to do what God has called us to do. You know, when you read the Old Testament, it's not so you could say, well, I would have done better than them. You know, (laughs) see how they messed up? No, that wouldn't have been me. I would have done better. No, when you read the Old Testament, it is a mirror of your heart revealing exactly what you would do. It is a call, really, to fall before the merciful, holy God and cry out to Him, say, God, I need you, because this is me. I'll fall every time. I need you. The character of God comes out in these verses, particularly 5 and 6. God wants you to know life and peace. He wants you to know Him. As you know him, the more in awe of you are of him. We are promised in these verses that God desires to bless you with life and peace. So number one, God, as I read these verses, promised Christ. You know, uh, he says, my covenant with Levi was one of life and peace. Levi is a priestly tribe. The priest's main role, again, was to bring God to the people and to reveal God so they can properly worship God. We as followers of Christ bring Christ to people. And God made a covenant, a promise. And what we read here in Malachi, the promise of God, is what we read in the book of Romans, Romans 8. For the mindset on the flesh is death, but the mindset on the spirit is life and peace. God desires to bring life and peace. Anything apart from God will not bring you life and peace. Christ is the fulfillment of life and peace. He is the means by which we get life and peace. God gave the Levites himself to, so they would worship God. They would bring the people to worship God. God's presence is what brings them to God and causes them to worship. Their worship leads to the congregation and the nation to worship God. We join in with what, the worship that's happening already. Imagine heaven right now. What are they doing in heaven? 
they're worshiping God. Let us join with them in worshiping God. And, you know, as Levi, as he would bring in, as he would be worshiping God, you know, David set up all this, you know, he had uh, musicians, he had singers, he had choirs. He set this all up to bring worship. Asaph was a a wonderful worship leader. If you read about some of the psalms that he wrote, and David wrote many of the psalms, they would bring people into the presence of God so we could worship him. The whole aspect of worship is not to focus on anyone but God. If there's anything that stands in the way of Christ, remove it. Focus on Him. And you stare into the holy eyes of God, into His very presence, worship. And it says, they were in awe. Notice it says, my covenant was with one with life and peace. I gave them to him as an object of reverence. So he revered me and stood in awe of my name. We stand in awe of God. We worship God. We fall before him and go, God, you're holy. You're awesome. We stand in awe of the one who loves and the one who is holy. He was faithful and awesome. And Levi's duty was to do that to show them the holy, awesome God and say, worship Him. He is the center of our lives, as we sang earlier today. You know, I was talking with someone early, uh, a few weeks back, and we, we were talking about scriptural things. Uh, someone that, uh, um, that I don't believe knows God, but interestingly, he says, he was talking about heaven, and says, I just don't want heaven to be like an eternal church service. <laughs> And maybe you're thinking the same thing, you know. <laughs> what if church were like, what if heaven were like church? Oh, <laughs> and then I, I, I remembered that passage in Revelation 4, 8, where it says, day and night, they never stop ceasing, worshiping God, saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And I'm thinking to myself, I don't really think that's what it's going to be like. I think it's going to be a pretty powerful experience, standing before the holy God, looking in his face and going, oh. <gasps> Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And you got nothing else to do but that. And that's all you're going to want to do. Because you're going to stand before him and go, this is awesome. What more would I want to do other than this? Except to worship God. And that's the point is, is that we gather before, as we gather as a congregation, we stand before God and say, God, I just want to worship you. And collectively, we do that. We say, God, you're holy, holy, holy. And you're worthy. And we're in awe of you. And now through Christ, as Christ has come, wow, look at what Christ has done. As Levi reflected on the word, he saw God, he saw his love and his character, and he worshiped. And he brought others in. That was Levi's calling. Levi, as he read and studied the word, spoke the truth. In the midst of darkness of this evil age, let the light of Christ shine. In the midst of hate and conflict, let the peace of Christ overcome. True instruction is rooted in Christ. Christ is the means of worship, the holiness of God, the faithfulness of God, the word of God, the hope of God, the love of God, the fullest revelation of God, the forgiveness of God. That is Christ. You know, notice he says, when true instruction was in his mouth, true instruction was in his mouth and unrighteousness was not found on his lips, he walked with me in peace and uprightness and he turned many back from iniquity. 
when true instruction is spoken, when Christ is spoken, many are set free from sin, from addiction, and from all that sin inflicts. We are to show the world and say to the world, let me show you a more excellent way. Let me show you Jesus. What God promised to Levi, the priestly tribe, is that when they love God, worship God, people were set free. They were an image of God to the world. Their nation was free. Their identity was known. False gods rejected. It is when they disobeyed God that turmoil, conflict, and violence became the norm. We have the capacity through the power of the Holy Spirit because of the blood of Christ, because of the forgiveness given to us by God through Christ, because of the cross, to transform our culture with his love. Let us honor God. Number three, honor God and do not compromise his word. Let's look at verse eight and nine. But as for you, you have turned aside from the way you cause many to stumble by the instruction. You have corrupted the covenant of Levi, says the Lord of hosts. So I also have made you despised and abased before all the people, just as you are not keeping my ways, but are showing partiality in the instructions. Or in the Word of God. I wonder what the culture would say if you went around, if you went around to different people and asked this question. What is the most important message today? Some may say to you, some may say, you got to vote for a certain political party or person. Or some may say, whatever science teaches. Others may say, believe in yourself. Others might still say, love and peace. Others may say, support this cause, love this segment of society, read that book, whatever it is. But what would you say? I would say, Christ is the most important message. In Christ is God. In Christ is love. In Christ is the forgiveness of sins. In Christ is the hope of the world, the salvation of our souls, and the salvation of our communities. We will do more for our community by knowing and living out God's word than by listening to all the human wisdom produced by men. In Proverbs 4, you have wisdom calling out. It's calling out. It's like this woman's walking through the street. Wisdom is calling out. Anyone to listen. And when you read Proverbs 4, you realize no one's listening because they don't want to listen. (laughs) As Malachi looks out at his community, he sees the sad fact of more of the same. The people are living without any intent on listening to God. The priests are compromised for the people probably told them, don't be so fundamental. Don't be so picky on this. Tone things down. Let the people live a little. This past week, I remember hearing that a chemistry professor was fired because his class was too hard. Oh. What we're seeing in our country is the lowering of academic standards because the students have too much power. And guess what? Laziness wins. Surrender. Number one, surrender your life to God. You know how compromise begins? It begins with a thought in our heart. I don't want to do this. I don't want to do this. I don't want to study, make the classes easier. I don't want to live my life for God, so I'll say sin's not a problem, just a lifestyle choice. I don't want to obey my parents, so I'll turn to another authority who will let me off the hook. I don't want to obey God's word, so I'll just justify my way of life and say, it's my authentic life. As this attitude of I don't want to do this grows, tyranny strengthens. As the people of Malachi's time grew restless and with what they saw as the tyranny of God's word, 
did compromise set in. Do we have to do this? Let us instead bring the worst animals to God's sacrifice, not the good strong animals because I need them. Do we as priests need to insist on the unblemished animals? Do we insist on having the people hear God's word, come to the festival, sacrifice the animals, obey the Ten Commandments? Eventually it turns into just do what you want and leave God out of it. This is what's happening in Malachi's day as compromise began, and it's what's happening in our day. The sacrifice became a joke. No one brought the right animal. The heart was lost. The festivals instituted by God were poorly attended. The priests didn't read the word because they didn't want to offend anyone. It's too hard. Fire the priest. The key phrase that stands out to me in verse 9 is showing partiality in instruction. In verse 8, it says, You have caused many to stumble by the instruction. The word of God offends, period, okay? There is no one on this earth that you can read this and say, Oh, I'm not offended. Then you didn't read it. Because it offends everyone. And it offends because it's supposed to show us our heart. Uh, in Sunday school, we read this verse in 2 Timothy. It says, All Scripture is God-breather, is inspired by God, and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped, adequate, equipped for every good work. It is to, it, it, here it says God's word is God breathed. It is life itself. God breathed into Adam, made him a living being. God's word is life itself. Notice the words in this passage, teaching, reproof, correction, training. It's supposed to confront you and rebuke you. And when you read it, say, Lord, show me my heart. Help me out. That's how you read it. Show me if there's any sinful way in me, so I can confess it. The Bible, God's word, has been attacked from day one. The snake in the garden. I'm sure during Noah's flood, before that happened, when Jesus was going to the cross, they were attacking him. When it is attacked, it is then those who are intimidated by the crowd who will then show partiality in the teaching and cause many to stumble. Recently, well, really for the past 300 years, there has been a teaching that seeks to undermine the scriptures called higher criticism. This, has been what, this is what you'll find if you go to any university or some seminaries that teach the Bible. It basically says that the Bible is not really the word of God. It's just simply made up by men or, or people have written it. And Jesus that you read about in the New Testament, that's not the real Jesus. That was made up by the church. You don't need to believe it's not Most of what you read about Jesus is just uh, made up. He didn't really do most of those things. And so they have this thing called finding the real Jesus. Who is he? And all it is is the enemy's attack, an attempt to remove the authority of God's word, to attack it, to say it is not God's word. And so if it's written that way, then why read it? Jesus, what you have shown us is something that no human being, and you know, as I read the New Testament, no human being could have ever written <laughs> What the things that I read in Scripture is so contrary to human, human nature. The beauty of His Word comes out, challenges us. So higher criticism is just another form of partial instruction, of causing people to stumble because of this phony teaching. It's an attempt to cheapen the Bible and strip of its authority. But you've got to realize that that's just one aspect, this higher criticism. All of culture and the message that it teaches, that culture teaches, is an attempt to undermine the authority of Scripture. 
And so instead of saying, well, well, we will attack the people who teach this, the people who teach this false message about culture, no, we will say, I'll show you a more excellent way. I will show you the love of God. I will show you the power of the Holy Spirit. I will show you the cross. I will show you Christ, my Lord. I will show you a more excellent way. We have been given the greatest message ever known. Let's make sure we're faithful stewards of what God has given us. And let us honor God. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for your word. Thank you for the correction that we need because of your word. Help us, Lord, to stand in awe of you each day, each moment. To worship you and call you holy, holy, holy. To celebrate you. I thank you for each person here. I pray that you pour into, your, pour into their heart your spirit. You pour into your, to their heart your word. And may they just be caught up in how beautiful and wonderful you are. 